And what a beautiful day it is today. September the 18th of 2022. This is the fifth dimension and this is your host today, Captain Fred. I found a book in my father's uh, library that he had left. And this book was one of uh, the original copies of A Choice, Not an Echo by Phyllis Shapley. And she just passed away recently, or not too long ago. I don't know exactly when, but I thought we'd take a look back at this. Sam, I'm getting a lot of noise. Do you hear that noise, or is it me? Oh, okay. Well, it must just be in my earphone. But anyway, Phyllis Shafley uh, was a leader of the conservative movement um, that sold uh, of the national conservative movement. When she started selling that book, A Choice, Not an Echo, and it was um, a pro-family movement, it was really interesting. Uh, The very opening of the chapter, it... It was, um, let's see, I hope I've got some sound coming in. Hmm. Yeah, okay, okay, well, um, well, the chapter one is called The Billion Dollar Robberies, and I thought this was, this is pretty interesting right here. It says, newspapers still headline stories about the $7 million London train robbery of 1963. And the earlier 1.2 million Brinks robbery in 1950 in Boston. Yet the press is strangely silent about the $13 billion robbery of 1940, the $98 billion robbery of 1944, the $39 billion robbery of 1948, or the $81 billion robbery of 1960. I bet if you put a little time in researching that, we could we could figure that out. But that's in the book. And this book was published, uh, I think it was published prior to 1964. It was published prior to the uh, a, the the uh, election with uh, uh, Johnson and uh, I think it was Goldwater, Barry Goldwater. That's so uh, the advanced planning. And since sim- stimuli employed to capture a $10 million cigarette or soap market are nothing compared to the brainwashing and propaganda blitzes used to ensure control of the largest cash market in the world, the executive branch of the United States government. You know, Phyllis had a way of going straight to the point. And it is, it is, the executive branch of the United States government is a cash cow. Says, most Americans think that the next president of the United States will be selected on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November of 1964, when we go to the polls to vote. Most Americans think they will vote for a candidate 
who's been selected in their party's political convention by delegates, who voted their honest, whoops, got to turn pages here, their honest convictions, and close the man, and choose, I'm sorry, choose the man best qualified to lead their party to victory. This may be what is thought or taught in the school books, but the ideal is frequently contrary to political reality. That's so appropriate nowadays, too. And that was, that was, God, that was 60 years before this current situation that we're in. So it's interesting that, that she points this out 60 years ago. It says here from 1936 through 1960, the Republican presidential nominee was selected by a small group of secret kingmakers who are the most powerful opinion makers in the world. Most powerful opinion makers in the world. Uh, Popular opinion. That's what crucified Jesus, wasn't it? They dictated the choice of the Republican presidential nominee just as completely as the Paris dressmaker control the length of a woman's skirts. In the 1940s, when the decree went out from Paris that all women's skirts should be only 14 inches off the floor, every family budget in the United States was unbalanced in a frantic effort to achieve the new look. Phyllis had a, <laughs> a, a interesting view of things, didn't she? Each fall, 66 million American women don't spontaneously decide that the dresses should be an inch or two shorter or longer than last year. Like sheep, they bow to the wishes of the select clique of courtiers whom they have never seen and whose names they may never even know. It is easy to predict that When skirts get about as short as they can possibly go, a Paris edict will be handed down again, and otherwise sensible American women, even when they cannot afford such extravagance, will throw or give away perfectly good dresses in order to buy new ones, which will (laughs) meet the fashion dictates of a half dozen dressmakers in Paris. It's a woman's view of this. It's it's pretty interesting. In the same way, uh, a few secret kingmakers based in New York selected every Republican presidential nominee from 1936 through 1960 and successfully forced their choice on a free country where there are more than 34 million Republican voters. Fantastic. In this book, we will... Examine the record and see how they did it. The strategy of politics, like an iceberg, is eight ninths under the surface. But first, let us look at the issues of the 1964 election year. That was the first chapter of a, a choice, not an echo. And Sam, let's let's play Phyllis's uh, clip that I that I sent you there. Can we get that up?
Well, you remember uh, Kennedy was assassinated in late November of, uh, of 63. And I was at that time the president of the Illinois Federation of Republican Women. And I had a whole series of Republican speeches scheduled uh, beginning in December. And it just seemed inappropriate to give a, a standard anti-democratic party speech. So I worked up a new speech called How Political Conventions Are Stolen, uh, starting the first week in December of um, 1963. And then I gave that speech all January and February. And it told the story of how the Rockefeller establishment had outmaneuvered the conservatives and given the uh, domination to me tours like Thomas Dewey. And uh, by March, I realized I could put it in a book and influence the convention. So it was a whirlwind year. Uh, I, I, I wrote it on my Royal Standard typewriter at night at home. And then, of course, I self-published it. You know, if you go to a publisher, it's going to take them two years to get their act together. And we needed it in 64. What is Pear Marquette? Pear Marquette Press. That's, that's the little uh, publisher I set up to produce this book. And um, so I sent it off to the printer in uh, March. And, and 25,000 copies arrived at my garage on April the 30th. And um, I typed out a one-page letter that said, Dear friend, um, please read this book today and then buy enough copies to send to your delegates to the 1964 Republican National Convention. And I uh, typed on my time. I typed a stencil in those days, and I had a mimeograph machine in the basement. And I went down in the basement and put the stencil on the on the the round thing and ground out a hundred letters. I sent one hundred letters out. It's the only advertising I ever did. And one of those letters was read by a friend in California, who called up and said, "I read it." Uh, I'm going to a Yurok convention this weekend. That's United Republicans of California. Uh, air freight me out 5,000 copies. Uh, and so I loaded them up in my station wagon, took them down to the airport, sent them out there. And that weekend we had statewide distribution in California. And uh, the California primary was the first week in June. And we sold over a half million copies between the 1st of May and uh, the 1st of June in California. Where did the title come from? Well, Barry Goldwater used the title. And the minute I heard it, I knew that was it. What a wonderful woman. To uh, take her cause to a, uh, a point where she influenced millions of people simply because she, she believed in something. She, the copy of her book that I have I, is a third edition. She published the first edition in May of 1964, and there were 600,000 copies. The second edition was in June of 1964, and there was a million copies. This copy that I have doesn't show the publishing because this was the third edition, and it was in August of 1964. If, 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 if this influenced my father to publish his book, 
because I found it in his library. I, I have to believe that if if she can do that, if my father can do that, I guess this is this media that we use now, this internet radio, is how we publish these these ideas now. The question is, is that well, the question is, are, are how effective are we? Are we able to influence the elections? I don't know. Chapter two, this was good. Who's loony now? Every newspaper, every newscast, on radio and television, every statement of public officials testifies to the numerous important political issues of the 1964 campaign year. She uh, outlined some of the political issues in 1964. And I think it's worthwhile to review this. I don't hear it very often. I'd like to, to review this. And, and after I discuss this a little bit, I'd like to open the phone lines and and uh, maybe discuss things that we all can do that might uh, influence the direction that we're heading right now. Anyway, in chapter one, it says that we suffered defeats around the world. Uh, and it, uh, and she said it, there was a collapse of American foreign policy everywhere. She listed Lyles, Vietnam, Cambodia, Pakistan, India, Greece, France, and England. Nate, oh, here we go. We have lost the friendship of our NATO ally, Portugal, because our State Department sided with Portugal's enemies when they seized Gaia and attempted to seize Angola. Oh, man, that was during colonialism. The Congo, Algeria. In 1960, the Democratic presidential and vice presidential candidates made a major issue of our image abroad. They promised to increase respect for Americans among foreign countries. Four, year, four years later, Americans are more hated by more people than ever in our history. Boy, this sounds so familiar. <laughs> in many countries, every continent, the American flag is being dragged down. American properties being confiscated. American citizens are being seized and humiliated. God, we're being humiliated daily by what's going on. It says Castro in Cuba was one of the big issues during the 1964 election. Uh, oh, let's see here. Survival. Oh, here's some... Uh, oh, here he is. Uh, Hitler told the world his plans for world conquest in Mein Kampf. Western leaders refused either to read or to believe his clear design for aggression. The communists also have laid out their blueprint for world conquest. In 19... Uh, let's see... November 18th of 1956, Khrushchev told Western diplomats in a Moscow reception, 
whether you like it or not. History is on our side. We will bury you. Hmm. It goes on and on. Some of these issues during the 1964 presidential election are still issues today. Here's Panama Canal. That was that was a hot point, hot button issue. Communist agents in the State Department. Oh, that's an issue today too, isn't it? Communist agents in the State Department and the CIA. State Department Security Officer Scott McLode listed 648 State Department employees as having had communist activities and associations and 94 as perverts. <laughs> His successor, Otto F. Atepka was fired by Dean Rusk. We all remember Dean Rusk. For cooperating with the Senate Internal Security Subcommittee. Huh. Top, top Soviet police defectors, Yuri Navasco and Miguel Golinsky have described the red penetration of our State Department and CIA. Congressman Michael Fagan quotes Gobinowski as saying that when he went to the to be debriefed by high CIA officials, he found one of my own agents sitting in front of me. President Johnson and Dean Rusk are trying to sweep these facts under the rug for fear of another Alger Hiss scandal in, in an election year. Sweeping uh, issues under the rug has taken a new twist with the reality of a state-controlled media. The information that would influence elections is routinely held down by CIA, by FBI, right? This was the same thing going on in 1964. For Christ's sake, what are, are we so stupid that we can't see that the same group of criminals that ran the country and, and put us into Vietnam, that put us into all these other wars, are the same group of criminals that are running this country now. And it's like Phyllis said, the kingmakers choose or select the presidential candidates. American jets shot down by the Soviets. On January 28th of 1964, the Russians shot down an unarmed American trainer plane that had wandered over East Germany during a storm. The crew of three was killed. After issuing a perfunctory protest, the next day the State Department announced the incident is closed. Hmm. On March 10th, the communists shot down another American plane. 
Western radar watchers report that there have been 95 red violations of Western airspace in the last two years. That no red plane has ever been shot down and even shot at by the West. Back then, it was a borders were an issue, I guess. <laughs> How long will the communists continue to kill Americans and humiliate us before the world? I think Phyllis, uh, Phyllis didn't have a, a broad spectrum idea of, of the, what the communists were about in 1964. One of Johnson's first acts after becoming president was personally to present the Enrico Fermi Award, which carries with it a tax-free purse of $50,000 to J. Robert Oppenheimer. When anyone tries to say that there is a difference between Republicans and Democrats, remember this case of J. Robert Oppenheimer. The Eisenhower administration was, with Louis Strauss as chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, revoked Oppenheimer's security clearance. Some of the evidence against Oppenheimer was summarized by William L. Borden, executive director of the Commercial Joint Committee on Atomic Energy, and testified that J. Oppenheimer was contributing substantial monthly sums to the Communist Party. His wife and younger brother were communist. He had at least one communist mistress. He was, <laughs> he was responsible for employing a number of communists. At wartime, oh man, Oppenheimer submitted that he deliberately told a uh, tissue of lies to the security office of the United States Army about a contact with him attempted by a uh, Soviet agent. Hmm. That, you know, we hear reports of Nancy Pelosi's communist Chinese uh, secretary. This, this stuff goes on and on and on. Hmm. Yeah, Phyllis really had a lot of things going on. She she was uh, uh, responsible for a lot of information that we wouldn't have ever heard before. But, you know, she, uh, well, she she put it down in, in a book. I like chapter three here. Republicans can't lose unless... <laughs> Where have we heard this before? With all these issues, issues which are vital to the survival and security of America, issues for which Republicans have the facts and arguments on, on their side, it looks as though there is no way Republicans can possibly lose so long as, as we have a presidential candidate who campaigns on the issues. But the reader may ask, isn't that what a presidential nominee is supposed to do? Campaign on the issues? Yes, but let us look at the record and, and see what actually happened in past campaigns. 
1940, the Republican candidate, Wendell Wilkie, did not campaign on the chief issue of that year, which was Roosevelt's policy of consenting to Stalin's invasion of Poland, Finland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, while committing American boys to fight Hitler. Hmm. When Wilkie finally made a few statements on this subject late in this campaign, voters instinctively knew his peace pledges were just campaign or oratory. The second major issue, Roosevelt's violations of the tradition against a third term, was given only superficial mention by Wilkie. Wonder why that was. In 1944, candidate Thomas Dewey never mentioned the best issue Republicans had that year, how the Roosevelt administration manipulated and invited the disaster of Pearl Harbor by the policy described by Roosevelt's Secretary of War how we should maneuver the Japs into the position of firing the first shot without allowing too much danger to ourselves. That's a policy? At the personal request of George, General George Marshall, who was criticized by the Army Pearl Harbor Board for failing to warn the Pearl Harbor Command after receiving the decoded Jap war messages, Dewey reneged on Republican plans to make the Pearl Harbor disaster a campaign issue. Dewey lost that year and a whole generation of Americans have grown up ignorant of how World War II began. That's still going on today. In 1948, Republican candidates Thomas Dewey and Earl Warren did, did not campaign on the major issue of that year, which was communist infiltration in the government. The exposure of Alger Hiss, Harry Dexter White, and other communists in high government positions had given Republicans their best issue, but Dewey and Warren did not discuss it by his Little Sir Echo campaign. Dewey snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Wow. 1952 Republicans were fortunate to have a candidate, Dwight Eisenhower, who squarely faced the issues of that year and approved a hard-hitting campaign. Corruption, communism, and Korea were the three dramatic obvious winning issues that elected Eisenhower with 55% of the popular vote and won a Republican majority in Congress. In 1956, Republicans again offered the voters a clear-cut choice over the liberalism of Adlai Stevenson. Folks, we'll be back in a few minutes.
You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Did you know that essential oils have had a multitude of natural health and skin uses in history, but have been somewhat forgotten by recent civilization? Susanna's Secret offers 100% pure natural oils at prices you can actually afford. Do you have a house or office with a musty smell or mold? Studies have shown that essential oils like the one in our Thief and Robbers blend will kill or inhibit mold, viruses, bacteria, and fungus. Just diffuse with it and you will see the long-lasting effects that even synthetic chemicals don't achieve. Purifica, another one of our products used to clean and freshen your house or give a natural scent when drying laundry. For that special lady, we offer a ginger argan oil in a beautiful cosmetic bottle or a pure argan oil, a natural acne-fighting product. Check us out at SusannaSecret.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com. S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com. Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee by going to rbnhemppaste.com and ordering a trial pack of Happy Packets for $5 with free shipping. That's rbnhemppaste.com. Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. That's 
a pretty appropriate term for a lot of the situations that we've gotten ourselves into. This last thing that happened in the election of 2020 was 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 defeat was snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Was that the Republicans' fault, or is this just a show? <laughs> is this a show? where the players, the narrative is being manipulated. In 1948, Republican, the nomination was a coveted prize. People, people wanted to be the nominated because there was two years earlier, the slogan, had enough, <laughs> in public reaction to price controls had given the Republican Party its largest victory of our time. Had enough in price controls gave the Republicans the, one of the largest victories of our time. That was 1948. Hmm. Republicans confidently anticipated a sure win. Boy, this is beginning to sound really familiar. There was much resentment among conservative Republicans against the Me Too campaign Dewey had waged in 1944. There was a strong Republican Party tradition against nominating a loser on the principle best expressed by Theodore Roosevelt's daughter, Alice Langworth, that you can't make a... <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, you can't make a souffle rise twice. <laughs> but the Gallup poll, again, hoaxed Republicans into nominating the choice of the New York Kingmakers, Thomas E. Dewey. Mm -hmm. To secure the nomination, the Dewey forces spent money and made deals and promises that Taft would have never made. Offers were made of federal jobs that delegates could not resist. Mississippi's delegation was headed by a Taft man but his delegates voted for the other way. After the vote, one delegate ran for a train and died on a heart <laughs> died of a heart attack on, on it. He had fifteen hundred dollars in fresh money on him, and the other delegates claimed it should be divided amongst them. <laughs> Wow. One of the deals made by the Dewey managers with the congressman, Charles Halleck, who was uh, promised the vice presidential nomination if he could deliver the Indiana delegation to Dewey, wasn't easy, but Halleck delivered confident that he would have second place on the ticket. In the hours after Dewey was nominated president, the New York kingmakers determined to continue the Roosevelt foreign policy, stepped in to snatch the deal. Speaking through their 
house organ, the New York Times. <laughs> That's, I like that. Don't you? I mean, think about this. The New York Times is still the, the house organ. The Kingmakers declared, surely not Mr. Halleck. Mr. Halleck would, would bring into the campaign the perfect record of a Republican isolationist. Mr. Halleck voted against selective service in the summer of 1940. Mr. Halleck voted against Lend-Lease. He voted against the British loan. He voted against the, the whole reciprocation trade program of 1940. That was the uh, that was the reciprocation trade agreements that we went into with Britain, I believe. He voted against the whole reciprocation trade program, and with Mr. Tabor, he had to fight to cut. He had to fight to cut appropriations under the Marshall Plan. Wow, Phyllis really got into a lot of this stuff, and you hear. You hear a lot of similar things. You hear a lot of similar things about the um, these elections, the deal making, the uh, well, the the politicization, the politicization of of running our government. People are trading whatever they need to to make presidents, however they need to. They do what they have to because it is so lucrative to be part of our government. Everybody seems to want to be in the government because they all leave multimillionaires. They all leave multimillionaires. Who wouldn't? I'd like to invite um, callers. I was listening to Farron's show yesterday morning and I was just amazed. His callers were so informed. His callers brought out so many good points. Farron was, uh, I think, was, was <laughs> it made his job so easy because all he did was to let his callers talk, and I do that too because I think the RBN listeners are some of the most informed people in the world. I believe that they... They don't take somebody's uh, word at uh, surface. I think everybody that listens to RBN likes to to dabble in research. If you're if you're interested in in coming on and helping me out on this show, give me a call. The number here at RBN is five one two two four eight eight two five two. Let me repeat that. That's five one two two four eight. 8252, and Sam's at the switchboard right now. These kids that are running the, the studio now after John's passing are working. There's, there's only three of them running this station now, and, and they take shifts. And if you've ever worked a, a, a program, you know that it takes a lot of effort and concentration to, to be able to maintain the uh, production of the show, uh, to handle callers coming in too. So if you do have some extra money to send into to RBN, they are taking donations. I think on the webpage, uh, I might look that up and see exactly how we can do that. Um, 
they're, they're taking donations. I think the donation page is on the uh, the main the main page. Let's see. Hmm. Support RBN. Donate here is a button, and you can click on that button. It'll take you to a a site that uh, says that they can accept gifts via cards through PayPal at the yellow donate button. They accept cash, money orders, checks payable to RBN, and you mail your checks and your donations to RBN 2251 Double Creek Drive. Let me repeat that. Double Creek Drive, number 302 in Round Rock, Texas. 78664 and uh, well there's an 800 number you can call too but I think they have to uh, they have to pay for that so if you if you can can call 512-248-8252 that's probably the easiest way to do it anyway call call in and, and make a donation if you can if you'd like to call and and contribute to the show or contribute to the network everybody would be like to i think that that most everybody on this network is working for free and trying to make a difference similar to phyllis shaffley phyllis at the time didn't have a network like rbn she had to self-publish a book and believe me, my father did the same thing a few years later than that. I think it was around 1972. So uh, this venue that we have, RBN, is really critical for the delivery of of alternative information or at least credible historic record. And I'm sure that you probably haven't heard many people talk about Phyllis Shapley's book, A Choice, Not an Echo on the mainstream media because I'm sure that that what they have has to be entertaining and uh, informative. That's that's the Glenn Beck uh, byline, entertaining and informative. I, man, I think any kind of propaganda that's worth its weight is going to be entertaining. As far as informative, that's to be decided whether or not it's good information or bad information. Sam, uh, can you play a little music? I need to get a drink of water here real quick. I'd like to take a break just for a second. Callers call in. Uh, we'll take some calls. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds. Well, I hope that you've been having the time of your life. Just remember, you got to always think twice. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind But there was something so special about that day Even your emotions had an echo So much space And when you're out there without a care Yeah, I was out of touch But it wasn't because I didn't know I just knew too much
since I was little. Ever since I was little. I'm sorry, folks. I was getting a little dry. It's it's difficult sometimes to to read and to 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 think about this and to edit as we go on this. Phyllis Shafley was an incredible person, and and we can only hope that someday we can come close to the kind of strength that that lady had. And we had, do have some callers now. Laura in Michigan. Laura, how are you doing today? Maybe. Maybe not. They were all, all over the country. Oh, there you are, Laura. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Phyllis had a great organization, Evil Forum. She had people in every, almost every state. And that's how I finally got I got into activism. As her first book, it was uh, it was actually it was about schooling. It was actually a congressional hearing that she had put into a book form. Now, when I read it, I thought, "Oh, my school's doing that. They're not teaching phonics anymore and that type of thing." But I told Phyllis too. I said, "You know, you you got my life totally changed around because of your book." Did, did you know her personally? No, but I met her a couple of times. Went to places where she was speaking. And I got a chance to talk to her. What was her presence like? Was she was she was she on the was I mean was she a down to earth person? Oh yeah, she's a lady. She's a, definitely a lady. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's a wonderful person. And getting back to the politics. Republicans are making a big mistake, I think. Uh, maybe other people will say that I'm wrong. But they're, they're still going on abortion. But abortion has been settled by the Supreme Court. Supreme Court sent, sent it over to the states. What they should be, uh, they should be uh, running on is immigration. We can't handle these millions and millions of people. They should be go just... Going to town, talking to people about how how many millions of people are coming in and how much they're costing everybody. Laura, I think that's a a, a perfectly valid uh, statement. I think that immigration is certainly an issue, and it's uh, you know a few weeks ago Chris was on the show when we discussed immigration a little bit, and immigration we we're all here because. One of us uh, at one time immigrated to this country, but um, this this uh, immigration as it exists today is almost like a free for all. It doesn't seem to have any real organization. I know that I've had, well, maybe not on RBN, but on the Revolution Radio Show. I've got a I've got a friend down in the Rio Grande Valley that talks about the people coming across the border and it's not exactly as they say on the mainstream media they show teeming hordes of uh of haitians or whoever coming across the river but uh anybody that lives in the valley knows that that nobody comes across that real grand border that the zetas does not want to come across you've got to pay to get across on that side so I'd like to point that out. So they're making money letting people come through or helping people get across the border. But my friend down on the Rio Grande Valley told me 
that the issue isn't that they're passing through the Rio Grande Valley. The issue is that they come into the Rio Grande Valley and they stay. He told me that that's the biggest problem right now. The, the population of the RGV, the Rio Grande Valley, is, has doubled in the last year. And not only that, but the business has doubled. You look at people like Elon Musk, who situated his high-tech missile launch operation and just down uh, a little to the east of, of uh, Brownsville, Texas. And there is no shortage of jobs or, or money in the Rio Grande Valley. The people that come to the United States through the Rio Grande Valley, the largest percentages are staying there. So I don't know. Uh, you know, people are, are the news media makes uh, this big claim that the governor of Texas is loading them on buses. The governor of, uh, of Florida is loading them on buses. But Governor Abbott, governor of Texas, is on record as being an Israel firster. I mean, he passed a resolution two or three years ago that said that if you boycott any uh, Israel operation, you can't do business with the state of Texas. So I don't know. Who are you going to believe? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I think sending them to sanctuary cities, these people, liberals are going to say, hey, we want the immigrants. And then when he sends them up and then they don't like it, they don't want to pay for them and stuff. I don't know. I just, I just think it's still a big... When I was a girl, I lived in the area, the thumb area of Michigan, and they had a classic pickle plant. And that always, they always hired Mexicans during the planting season and the picking season. But those people, then they eventually, they would pick up, they'd make their money, and then they'd pick up and they'd go start heading south. They'd go to different places, pick strawberries or whatever, head down, and then eventually go over the border and go home and take their money home to their family. That was how it was always done. What kind of people were they, Laura? Hello? Yeah. I'm just asking, you said you knew of uh, the Mexican laborers that were uh, picking uh, pickles and working in the agricultural industry, I was wondering what kind of people did, were they? I mean, were they were they friendly? Did they speak English? I mean, what what kind of immigrants were they then? And what what do we have well, now? They were pretty nice. Uh, being that I think that I was Catholic, there was a lot of them went to the Catholic Church. I used to look at their little babies and think how cute their babies were. Hmm. You know. I, I think for the most part they are. I think that the, yeah. that what happens when when uh, an economy expands the way this economy has expanded, and any time that you print this much money in the trillions of dollars and put it into circulation, that's you've artificially expanded the economy then. And us, like you, Laura, and me, and and a lot of the listeners on RBN are not the wage earners that a lot of these people are bringing over. And it's not about wages in the United States. It's about debt because we're all debt slaves in this country. 
And that's what that's what these people that come across the border in the most the largest majority. Uh, they come across the border because of these, this American dream that if they have a job, if they work hard, they can have everything. And that's what everybody in this country expects when they when they when they really work and try. And unfortunately, that's really not particularly true all the time. There's a lot of people that come across the border who intend on making their wealth the same way they did it before. And that's by stealing and by murdering and that's by killing. The problem is, is that uh, this, this uh, issue that they created is, is being manipulated and distorted in a lot of different ways. I don't know who we should believe about any of the things. Like I said before, no one comes across that border in South Texas without the Zetas getting paid first, all right? Do you believe that? Yeah. How about the fentanyl, bringing the fentanyl over? Well, they don't send any fentanyl over without the Zetas getting their cash out of it first, all right? That the the gang that runs the border is the government. It's de facto. It's a de facto government. Uh, it's not the de jure government. They haven't been elected by it. They've been. They've been. They're the the government by force. And it's the same thing that's happening here in the United States. The government we have now is a government of thugs and of criminals that have taken control illegitimately and are using the de jure force of of our laws to continue to extract wealth from our country. And that's exactly what the gangs do on the border of Mexico. To 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 criticize Mexico I think is is wrongly. It's like it's like criticizing uh our government when an American citizen uh, does something illegal. I mean, I, I don't know that that's a fair thing. I think that the point that I was bringing up with Phyllis's book is that these these elections are being manipulated and controlled by the kingmakers, by the people who decide is going to be our next president. Donald Trump, I, I you know, a lot of people believe that Donald Trump was... Um, an accidental president that he wasn't supposed to have actually got enough votes, but enough people went to the presses and voted for him that he was elected and they couldn't deny it. And they say now that Biden is an illegitimate president because there's no way. Well, first of all, I have a hard time believing that he got more votes than Barack, more black votes than Barack Obama. That's, that's difficult to believe. I just don't see yeah, you that. Didn't happen. Win. Huh, no. Well, so so no. you know the same thing that Phyllis was addressing. Let me have a question. You think that yeah. lately have you listened to uh, Biden? I think he's about a double or something, or maybe your his brother's standing in. He's got a, I, you know he's strong, his voice is strong. You know, he just is not the same. It's not that's I've not always Biden. <laughs> I've always said that that politicians are actors that were too ugly to make it in Hollywood. So, you know, I I think that Biden could possibly be a stand-in. I noticed that when, uh, oh, well, hey, I've got music. We'll bring this back up. Or hang on to the after this break. This is Captain Fred. This is the Fifth Dimension. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome to your life. 
Have you been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company? We have a solution for you. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. Our line of resealable fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from Simply Clean Foods, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on Long-Term Food Storage in the Rotating Sponsors banners to support RBN. Simply Clean Foods. Do it today. You can't handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit republicbroadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth.